0: All right, dude, you have my undivided attention. All right, well, we're live. So Sven Starfury, welcome. It's great to be speaking with you.
1: Greetings, good to be here.
0: So uh, I'm a huge fan of your work, first and foremost. Uh, I love the memes that you put out. Uh, They're so useful in sending to to normies and and people that have either only just been orange-pilled or haven't been orange-pilled at all yet, because you know, like all memes, it gets people to think, right? It gets people to ask these questions. You pose these hypotheticals to people you make these bold statements fix the money fix the world and it gets people to think like what the fuck does that mean and so uh i I love your work and i'd love to just know why you started doing it how you got into it and and maybe a bit of your bitcoin rabbit hole story to get this thing kicked off
1: um yeah so i guess i first heard about bitcoin because i was a fan of uh, actually your countryman um stefan molyneux who had a free domain radio and he actually interviewed Andreas Antonopoulos. I think it was around 2014 or 15. So pretty, pretty early. And back then I didn't actually have any financial means to even invest if I wanted to. Um, so it was kind of always on my, on my radar in that sense, but it wasn't until 2017 and another friend sort of really insisted I get into it. And since then it's just been a hundred percent Bitcoin. Like I was always, already so primed for it just because I was sort of on the libertarian path and understood this stuff about economics and just anyway, in my own life, like freedoms, always been a huge, um, huge thing for me. So yeah, that's, that's how I got into it. And yeah, now it's just my total focus, really.
0: <laughs> so how did you go from being kind of orange filled with Bitcoin to well, actually what, what was it about what, uh, you mentioned kind of your you, you always had a, a leaning towards freedom or, you know, that was always a, an important kind of philosophical thing for you, but what was it about what Andreas and, and Stefan were talking about that day that, that kind of hooked you in? Like what made you buy it and just not dismiss it as, well, this, this is, you know, this is stupid or it can't work or
1: um I think I got it straight away just cuz I'd been primed so much even with like all the science fiction that I read as a teenager and all through my 20s and um actually I I did a podcast as well with uh, Self Banked, another prominent bitcoin memeer um and he kind of pulled on this thread quite a bit and um made me realize that it's kind of my own origin story I was actually born in East Germany in East Berlin and in 1985 my parents basically escaped uh, East Germany and to come to Australia and they gave up literally everything. My dad, you know, had a house that he built by himself, you know, and just had to donate everything to the state basically to, to leave. And I think I always had this sense deep down, even before I could articulate it, that this freedom thing was really, really important. And then, you know, I, I guess it was sort of the mid 2000, you know, 2005 or something and then I I found, um, Steph and he gave me the words to articulate this thing, you know, the libertarian ethos and, you know, also the economics behind it. So yeah, when, when I, it didn't take me long to see what Bitcoin was and the purpose of it. And after that, I was just totally on board, you know.
0: And what year again was that when Andreas, when you saw Andreas on Stefan's podcast or show?
1: I think it was like 2014 or 2015. Okay. So
0: like,
1: I mean, that was a pretty, like Steph was pretty early with that. I think it's, um, a credit to him and I'm sure some of his audience did pretty well because of that. So, yeah.
0: And so how did, when you came across this and you saw what Bitcoin was, how did it change your perspective, your philosophy and your behavior after that now, like and I don't mean like all the different ways that you've changed since, but how did it kind of reorient yourself in terms of what you were striving towards and the tools you were using and that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah. So again, to reference the the self-banked conversation and I actually re-listened to it today, just sort of as a bit of a homework for this, but, um, he was asking, you know, you ask people, what's your red pill story or Bitcoin to say, you know, what's your orange pill story. And I had to bring up in that as well, you know, a lot of people are describing themselves as black pilled now, which kind of means you've kind of lost hope for society. And I, I must say I was going down that, that path just, you know, it it seemed really dark what's happening out in the world. And really the, it's like the orange pill is the antidote to the black pill, you know? So, um, you know, this one thing that I posted to my Facebook, to all my normie friends and just Um, commenting on the elections in the U S now, and the, these two people, these two men vying for control of the most powerful nation on earth. They have a combined age of 150. Um, neither of them can touch type, you know, they probably type with two fingers, let alone know how to code, you know? And it's just like that the world that packs Americana, like this great empire, like these are the options being served up to its population. Like that could be pretty depressing, but you know, I've got Bitcoin, (laughs) I don't give a fuck, so, you know, let the, let the shit burn.
0: Yeah, man, I'm, I'm watching like pieces of these debates and stuff and I'm just thinking like, oh my God, how horrible would I feel if Bitcoin wasn't Mm. around? Like I Mm. would just, you know, what, what, what hope could you have if something, if Bitcoin wasn't in existence, you know, it would just be so fucking depressing to watch that shit.
1: Yeah, totally. And I mean, the stuff they talk about is just, just not relevant at all, you know, and, But that's that's where the world. I think that thing's just got to play itself out, really.
0: Yeah. And so, what? How did you get started with, you know, the the memes? You know, why did you decide that your kind of at least initial contribution to all this stuff was going to be helping to, you know, communicate this message through the the virality of these, you know, these memes that you've been
1: making? Yeah. Um. So I can go back a bit because it's kind of a cool story. Um. In like 2000. 16, um, me and a mate of mine, we actually started a YouTube channel. Um, again, this is f- thanks to Steph as well, that I, I met this guy. Um, uh, we were both on one of Steph's call-in shows, um, as, you know, as a caller and you know, I had this super long conversation with him and every now and then I, I remember I, I used to listen to the call-in shows and you'd get someone who had an Australian accent. I think like, oh, that's cool. There's other Aussies that listen to him and this dude, he happened to drop some clues that he was a musician and that he lived sort of on the East coast. And I just actually did some Googling and I, I found this, this guy and got in touch with him and I said, like, look, we both seem to listen to Steph and anyway, a friendship formed and a a little while after that, we both started this YouTube channel together, um, just to talk about freedom stuff and philosophy and whatever. And then a few months after that, we got invited down to Sydney to participate in um the Friedman, the Milton Friedman Conference, which is a libertarian conference down there, to talk on the alt media panel, which was like a spin out because we've been doing it for just a few months and, you know, had a, a few hundred subscribers or whatever. Um, and so in preparation for that, I decided I wanted to make some bumper stickers and I, I was going to make a taxation is theft bumper stickers. And, you know, if you're going to design something like that and get them printed, you may as well do a bunch of designs. And so I just had this range of stickers and I called them, you know, truth tags, um, they were weapons of mass instruction, um, and. Yeah, so I, I sold a, you know, a few, a couple of hundred of these stickers down in Sydney and paid for my flight down there. And that, that was cool. And it was just my sort of side hobby project that I had in the last few years. Um, and then, you know, I got to, to, to Twitter and you know, it's this whole sort of gamified thing, and you're trying to hone these, um, you know, 288 character messages and get some point across and, you know, get your likes or whatever and get your followers and, um. That That medium it's really constrictive, and I realized that um that gifts, that animations they were sort of like a, a way to hack um Twitter, so you could you know if a picture is a worth a thousand words, like how many words is a is an animation worth and so yeah it's just a sort of a back channel to get into people 's consciousness, and you know we've got these primate monkey brains, so um you know anything that's shiny and moving we're attracted to so yeah, and um I guess i've just always i've used this sort of software for for, you know, most of my adult life and as a teenager as well. And, um, yeah, it was only at the start of this year that I, you know, just started learning after effects, the specific software that I use for motion graphics and animation, and, you know, I've just got a, a really potent muse in Bitcoin, um, so yeah.
0: And, and so you mentioned you've been familiar with kind of, uh, the software and stuff like in, in your normie life, are you at a, in, a, in the design field of any kind? Um,
1: not, not really, um, before or before this year, uh, my partner and I, we ran a little organic food business and we're doing the farmers markets every Sunday and it was really just us. Like we started, we started it with nothing. And so I did all the labels myself and so started learning illustrator and all that. And, you know, I've just been a, you know, wannabe hacker kid since my early teenage years, so I've always just used software and, um, yeah, like I kind of, I struggle actually considering myself an artist. It's more like, I just like using these tools and, um, yeah, it's more, it's got more to do with like engineering, the animation stuff anyway. So,
0: yeah. Um, I want to go back to your uh, parents' story for a second. So you said they left East Germany in 1985, um, without being able to take anything with them, I'm assuming in terms of wealth.
1: Yeah, it was basically like, uh, two suitcases worth of clothes. And, uh, my dad managed to smuggle a few hundred dollars worth of, uh, U S dollars, um, under his watch face actually. And the reason he had access to U S dollars, and this is a kind of funny story, but, um, his business in East Germany at the time, because we lived in East Berlin and he, owned and managed the toilets at the airport, which sounds kind of weird, but <laughs> that meant that, you know, there, there were Westerners coming to the airport and they would tip with Western money, you know, so, you know, one US dollar back then, so anyway, um, but that, that was pretty much it and his, his property and where his he built his house that was adjoining his father's property, you know, my granddad and, you know, it's the story of his life tragically that, three years later the wall came down and that property you know just the property alone was worth tons and um but you know he started here from zero again in his late 30s with two two kids so
0: yeah and how did he get a foothold in australia
1: um hard work you know like they they bought a sandwich bar um well firstly um he had a brother here that came out in the 60s before that and you know, just it sort of got him started in his first job, and or well, as a kid, I just remember they always bought an old shitty house, and Dad renovated it and did it up. And you know, like I said, they they had a little sandwich bar, and just worked seven days, and yeah, they just they just worked like that's how you how you get anything done, really. um I Don't think you really ever asked for handouts, so yeah, like major respect to him for for doing that, and you know, now they they're comfortable enough and. But fuck man, like starting from zero again in in your late thirties, it's pretty much sort of the age that I am now. I I couldn't imagine that, you know, I've got a five-year-old daughter as well. He came over here with a a four-year-old me and my sister who was one year old at the time. So like, like I said, that that's the story of his life and he's probably have regrets about that for the rest of his life. But, um, me and my sister and my, my mom were like, thank you so much. You know, you chose freedom over everything else and. We're grateful. Like I'm, I'm certainly glad I'm in Australia right now and not in Europe. So yeah. And that's,
0: that's. Uh, you know, we talk about citadels and if things get bad, where, where we'll go, where, you know, where is the bastion of freedom in the world today, effectively. And, uh, you know, the story has happened so many times before where people were in, you know, really difficult, shitty situation where they're being oppressed, where they were subject to authoritarianism you know, little opportunity and all that kind of stuff. And so many people just decided like, ah, it won't get that bad or, or it's not so bad. And, you know, we'll just stick around and wait and see. And other people just pulled the trigger, made that I'm sure a super hard decision to say, no, you know, this isn't how I want to live. This isn't the circumstance, uh, an environment in which I want to raise a family. So I'm going to somewhere where. You know we can at least have freedom even if it means we have to start over again you got to respect that uh, attitude
1: mm-hmm. thanks dad if you're watching this <laughs> um but it's it's really um it's our privilege as as westerners you know we live in stable western democracies and it's part of the disconnect like part of the reason that people just don't get bitcoin because um you know the, for them the money has been stable their society has been stable like they don't understand the um, reality of something like you know hyperinflation actually happening but you know that happened to my to my grandparents um so yeah like people just need to learn a bit more about history to understand that that sort of thing is possible and i'm I actually i remember hearing recently an interview with um a vj and he had a sort of similar story because uh, apparently Um, like his dad was going back to India with all this gold sort of thing. And it was that, that same thing, which I didn't connect with until recently, but I mean, it's kind of in my DNA, this, this thing, like if, if Bitcoin was around when, you know, when my dad was trying to flee East Germany, he could have taken all his hard earned wealth with him, you know, so. I guess I've, I've just been sort of primed with it from that respect. But um, yeah, I didn't realize it consciously until recently.
0: Yeah, do your parents know about Bitcoin? And if so, interested, part
1: Um, Yeah, well, I mean, I don't shut up about it. So well, certainly I didn't in 2017. So um, yeah, I mean, they, they know about it and, you know, they've kind of dipped their toes in. And I mean, that's the other thing, my, my whole life, my dad's been going on about the central banks and how it's all, all bullshit and, you know, really, oh, really? getting me to distrust to, to the governments. Um, so, you know, I, even, I wish they'd, they'd buy more. Sorry. Even,
0: even in Australia, he has that same, like, even though he's kind of, he extricated himself and his family to this, you know, much freer environment, he's still critical of that uh, system.
1: Yeah, I think he's just skeptical of the whole enterprise. Like I, he probably wouldn't label himself as such, but I think he, the way he lives his life, he's a pretty hardcore anarchist maybe even like, I don't know if he'd agree with me saying that, but, um, yeah, I think so.
0: And so, I mean, I, I think, I kind of think someone like that would be really into Bitcoin, what you, you kind of gave a sense that like they're dipping their toes, but they're not kind of hook, line and sinker. What's the stumbling block for someone like that to not really buy into this? Um,
1: I think it's just a generational thing man like it's too hard to get like i mean he's in his in his 70s you know and i've got him onto facebook recently and there's just it's just a whole other language to that you have to learn how to speak you know so you know it's they they say the same thing about science you know like there's no progress made in science until the the old professors and stuff die off and like i I think it's just going to be that way in this as well um but you know that's, that's, that's his own things. He he, he has a hard time co- committing to things like, um, I think he got burned a bit with that decision to move to Australia and, and the wall coming down subsequently. Like, like I said, he's always regretted it and maybe makes him, makes it hard for him to make big decisions like that since then. Not to right. psychoanalyze him too much here, but yeah.
0: <laughs> um, and what about you? So you've been, try, you know, you've been kind of nomad living for a while now. Why don't you tell me about the motivation and, and kind of experience of that?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, playing up the whole hashtag van life thing on my, uh, on Twitter for, for a bit now, but, um, uh, astute watchers will see that I'm actually in a house now. So we just moved in on the weekend and it's fucking awesome to have a place again. <laughs> um, we're really like I, I joked like we're appreciating the fuck out of this thing. Um, but yeah, the, actually the last 15 months we were living in a camper van, um, and the that's because last year we sold that little business that i mentioned um and since then we were just traveling around australia and like someone's smiling down on us because like it was a hell of a timing to to sell that business before you know everything that's transpired in 2020 with the virus and everything else so um you had good time to be mobile like that um and and like i said um it's just the freedom man like it all comes back to that i think i we totally maximized freedom, and uh, we've got a you know nearly six-year-old daughter now, and um, again maximized our time with her. Um, I think these the first years of life um, are so important. So yeah, we just did everything we can to to be with her as much as possible. And um, my partner was starting her work; she was actually we we're actually touring around Australia with her parenting workshops. Um, so yeah, that was it, and. Like I said, we, we managed to sell that business, which we started from zero. So had some savings and this, this last year was just getting her business off the ground and now that's running and she does um, therapy sessions one-on-one and we've been able to do the digital nomad thing. And, you know, my dad during the day and then at night I, I contribute to the meme wall, I guess, and, um, you know, help Bitcoin.
0: What's it like raising a, a young kid in a camper van?
1: Oh, it's, it's awesome, man. Like they don't, they don't need anything but our love and attention, you know? Um, so yeah, like everything was new. We, we did like nearly 10,000 Ks in, in that 12 months, the last six months I was living at a, at a friend's property, um, up here and sort of, um, in rural up in the Hills and it's just beautiful, you know, we're growing avocados and tea and, Um, you know, had the chickens and it's real farm life for her. And so I think she's had a a real appreciation where things actually come from. I really despair for, you know, some of the kids today and they think that food comes from a supermarket and have no real understanding, you know, what, like the value of things and how hard it is to get something done. And even prior to that, the five years that we um, ran our organic food business. And like I said, we were at the farmer's markets every Sunday and she was there with us from the age of like six months onwards and, you know, you know, helping with the change, the money box and stuff towards the end of it. So yeah, it's, it's been great. I love parenthood. I wish, I wish I'd started sooner. Um, there's a lot of propaganda that kind of, um, puts down parenting, but I think it's the the best thing for a young man.
0: You plan on having more?
1: Uh, man, I'd love to have like just a ton of kids and I get a real, um, real funny feeling of like regret or remorse when I see big big families you know there's a dad there and he's got like four or five kids in tow and i'm like fuck you know that could have been me but you know (laughs) it might might not work out for that just because of how things went with the first pregnancy and my partner but um yeah it is what it is i think i'm so blessed that we have one beautiful daughter and i highly highly recommend it it's the most low time preference thing a human can possibly do is to have kids i believe
0: that's awesome man and how do you guys feel about being stationary now what, or what was the reason behind that decision and how do you feel about it now that you made it
1: um we just we just done it like we we'd really done it you know we did we did the van life thing and um really it's just so we can be more productive like my partner has a lot to offer the world as well Um, we say in Bitcoin, fix the money, fix the world. I I actually like to add to that, fix the money and fix parenting and you fix the world and Mm -hmm. she's a sort of parenting coach and trauma therapist. So, and you know, I'm, I'm a Bitcoiner, so I I feel like we've got the two most important things, uh, boxes ticked in that regard. And, um, it's just, you are limited by what you can do in, in the van, um, just by how much work you can do, but now she has an office and I have my space and, you know, we, sh- we can double our input. So, you know, twice as many um, animations and twice as much of her work as well. So I think it's better for the world that we have a house.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Um, how have you guys changed? You know, a lot is made. And I love this topic of talking about how people have changed internally and how the behavior has changed as a result of being involved in Bitcoin, right? Um, has that been the case for you? And if so, what have they been?
1: I don't think it's changed so much because i think i was always searching for something like that and before bitcoin it was sort of like just you know libertarian ideals that i was trying to spread um and you know i've always had like maybe grandiose dreams of um you know just that you can change the world through ideas and stuff so like I was ready when Bitcoin fell on my lap again in 2017. I'm like, yeah, this is the thing. And so I think what's changed for me is just that I have a purpose and somewhere to direct the energy to like, I, you know, otherwise I'd still be playing with this software and just dicking around, but it wouldn't have anything to actually create. So yeah, I think just like the purpose thing is, is really important and actually like working on something that has a legitimate hope of actually changing things for the better. I think there's so much stuff out there, which is just sort of like, you know, maybe you'd call it like activism theater and, you know, these the things that are people putting so much energy to, it's not actually going to um, help the world in any meaningful way. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, it's just amazing to now have, it, it's so worthy of your energy because of how valid a solution. It represents and that just means that mm-hmm. like it just pulls the energy out of you like it's it, 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 so easy to contribute your time and attention to this thing because it's so worthwhile like nothing you know other than maybe parenting for example it seems like nothing is more worthwhile and so how could you not you know want to spend more time contributing to something like that
1: yeah i mean you hear that story so often and even since 2017, when I was coming into it, just like the number of Bitcoin podcasts and, you know, just the, the amount of activity I've seen on on Twitter since then, it really does seem growing. It's it's always hard to tell because we're sort of in the echo chamber, I guess. Um, but yeah, like you said, and it's because the stakes are so high, you know, like it's, it's easy to work on, on this. So yeah, I, I totally agree, man.
0: Yeah. Um, what, you know we i think we've exchanged a few uh twitter messages about uh you said you had some psychedelic stories or or you know, a, a unique take on psychedelics and of course this is a topic that uh i'm very interested in as well um this was kind of my bitcoin before bitcoin i guess you could call it so what's <laughs> yeah. uh what's your uh, what's your take
1: um yeah so it was actually only um This year that i cut my dreads off um (laughs) sort of kind of thinning on top anyway i couldn't couldn't keep that up for much longer anyway but um yeah i was the the full-on hippie dude and loved my mushrooms and actually like that's a that's a nice way to describe it (laughs) like the psychedelics were your bitcoin before bitcoin and yeah i I did consider consider myself like a psychedelic warrior and loved my terence mckenna and you know told everyone you know (laughs) you've got to listen to this stuff and whatever And there's real value to that too um but Again, it's like these things that I've done and really thoroughly done. So it's like, um, you know, I, I kind of hang my, hung my hat up in that regard. And, you know, since my daughter was born, there's been, there's been none of that really, um, so, but like, I do tell people and it's a Terrence McKenna quote. I I believe, um, it's just such a shame if you go from cradle to the grave without having a psychedelic experience it's like as much of your human birthright as you know the sexual experience or anything like that and it might may well be like i I do see a fair overlap in amongst bitcoiners and people who are switched on in a psychedelic fashion i guess and i think um maybe it primes you in the sense just to, to question things and um just any psychedelic experience kind of forces you to recognize that um your experience is so subjective and it can be radically like radically altered um and you know you can come back to reality after that but yeah like that experience is malleable in that sense so hopefully you go out into the real world and realize like the the assumed truths of the world you know might not be so true either
0: yeah i i I, psychedelics are are such a beneficial tool in many ways but you know, they're pretty much exclusively in the internal realm. Now that can be kind of transmuted to the external world by the change that you, that happens internally and that you then express into the world. And that was always kind of my, you know, that was my perspective on how psychedelics could, uh, you know, how, ha- how they could change things the most is you have to be a representative of, you know, the knowledge, the wisdom, the insights the things that you learn in that realm and and put it out there in the world. And I mean, that's just always the case for the type of world you want to see, right? You know, you want to quote unquote, be the change and very cliche, Mm -hmm. but I I don't think there's any way any disputing that. Um, but Bitcoin just came along and represented a tool for the exterior world that had the potential to have equal or even greater impact on, you know, an improvement and uh, facilitation of you know, umbrella term good in the world. And that's Mm -hmm. why it was so exciting because, and of course, it was easier to hijack people too. You know, I could corner you at a a social event or a party and go on about psychedelics and the merits and the history and all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're not into it, you're not into it, but everybody Mm -hmm. loves money, you know, everybody wants Mm -hmm. more money. So that makes it a lot easier to, uh, yeah, hijack people's, I guess, lower brain and, and get them to, you know, pay attention to number go up and then you, you know, once, once they do that, then oftentimes they get all the other stuff, but eventually.
1: Mm. Um, something that I'd never thought about when, um, if you're comparing Bitcoin is the psychedelic thing, like what do they have in common? And to go meta from there, it's kind of like a, a thing about truth. Like they often say that about, you know, psychedelics, like, is that a, a deeper or truer reality? Like, what is it that we're actually tapping into, you know, and. You know I, I had it with my truth truth tags like truth has always been this this huge thing and i don't know if it was plato or socrates but that thing about the the true the good and the beautiful like they're all kind of wrapped up in one and you know one way of looking at bitcoin is that it's a truth machine that we can all share and have like this decentralized proof and it's just absolute <laughs> objectivity in that thing so you know in the same sense like you know in the psychedelics is sort of seeking for truth. And so, yeah, like somehow they're kind of connected in that sense.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think there's actually a ton of overlap, which I, you know, I'm sure I'll continue and many other people will continue to explore further, but that's one of the interesting reasons. And I know, you know, the kind of like, is Bitcoin a religion and maybe that's the wrong framing, but that sort of thing is, is a fairly contentious topic for some. Um, but I think that, you know, the question is just asking like, you know, What is the nature of people's relationship with, with Bitcoin, you know, because religion kind of uh, is all about what is the nature of people's relationship with the unknown, the supernatural, the, you know, the deeply personal, the spiritual, all these different things. And, you know, when you have, as you say, a, a truth machine, something that just, you know, basically just chugs along and verifies truth. And which, you know, nobody can change that truth. I think truth is a fundamental concept to all religions. And so that's probably why there's this, these connotations with Bitcoin is because, you know, it's, it's right there in front of you, you know, and and when, when it's, when it's, when you're confronted with truth in such an obvious way, I think it's maybe that's just the nature of truth that it instills, you know, has that effect on us, especially in, you know, and truth is unchanging too, you know, it's, it's and that, and that's represented in Bitcoin. So when, you know, I often think of it in terms of, and whether it's in the psychedelic realm in Bitcoin, but when you stumble upon a truth, and if you, you know, if you really believe in it, or if it really is a the truth, then the only thing that can change is you, the truth doesn't change. Right. And that's why it's so transformative because, you know, you've stumbled on that an unchanging, immutable truth, and in order to behold it, integrate it you know, it just has this kind of uh, transformative aspect that, you know, you are the one that has to kind of align with it, not vice versa. And that's why I think it has such a transformative effect on people. And I think that's part of the phenomenon we're seeing unfolding with Bitcoin.
1: Yep. I hadn't thought of this before, but it's like um, Bitcoin fills the God-shaped hole that so many of us have in our hearts. Um and like in the early two thousands, again, you know, when YouTube sort of first came on the scene and I was I was right into like the the Richard Dawkins and the um Christopher Hitchens, all the sort of atheist debaters and stuff like that. And that used to be, you know, before Bitcoin and before psychedelics and <clears throat> before libertarianism and all that. but that was sort of my um my crusade, I guess. Um And the funny thing is, um, this guy that I mentioned that I started the YouTube channel with, uh, we were both sort of from that, from that ilk, I guess. And then, um, a couple of years into me knowing him, he found Jesus, you know, and now he's like this based Christian dude who's got, you know, his YouTube channel, he's got like 10,000 plus followers and he's a musician too. He just made this, um, like, you know, Christian inspired, um, album. And that, that kind of happened, uh, after, um, Jordan Peterson came on the scene and, Uh, Peterson was here in Australia and we went to his events and and stuff like that um so that was a I'm, I'm an atheist personally and but um that was a fascinating transformation to watch in my friend um and you know whatever you believe in that respect um one thing's for sure is that it's been fantastic for him personally and you know his family life you know so and I think it comes back to that thing about having a purpose you know something that's higher than yourself and it doesn't really matter what it is but i think um i forget who said that now but um give a man uh, a why and he can bear almost any how. you know and so we have this why of like why bitcoin it's to separate money and state you know it's to bring freedom to the world and you know it's like (laughs) Well, I say to people, when when I'm working for Bitcoin, it doesn't feel like work. You know, I've, I've heard that echoed by some people, but you know, I can spend hours dicking around in, in the software and, um, you know, making the animations and whatever, and it's just, you know, you're, you've got this drive to do it because it's something greater than yourself.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. And you know, it's fun. And I, and I think so many of our trajectories were similar. You know, like when I first, I guess, you know, started uh, learning about how the world works as much as possible. You know, you, you end up, or one of the roads you go down, it's like, oh my God. You know, these, uh, institutions of religion are such a, uh, suppressant on the world. They're such a, you know, almost a cancer on the world, right? Like how, first of all, how could people believe this shit? And second of all, look at all the, the horrible things have, that have been done in the name of these gods or these institutions, et cetera. And so, you know, I read Dawkins and Harris and all, all the rest of it. And then. You keep going and maybe you wind up in the psychedelic realm. You think, oh no, maybe they're like, maybe it's not a formal religious, you know, dogmatic religious thing, but maybe there's something else. It seems like there's something else going on at the very least. Mm -hmm. And then you keep going and you keep going. A lot of people came to Bitcoin through that, through that road, whether they, you know, in my case, trying to buy drugs on the silk road and and realizing that you needed Bitcoin to do so, or, you know, by some other means and, uh, know, and or as you say, Peterson, you know, and I had a conversation recently with a few Bitcoiners about um, this very subject. And to me, it's, I mean, if your friend has improved his life as a result of, um, you know, quote unquote, finding Jesus, then, you know, more more power to him. That's because the proof is in the pudding, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I say the proof is in the pudding. And I I genuinely mean that. But from my from my perspective, uh, I don't care about the, the pudding, if the proof is not truth, I guess, is, is the way to put it. Like I need my, my, my orienting belief to be, I need to believe that it's, it's as truthful as possible mm-hmm. if it's going to, if I'm going to be okay with how it orients my behavior and my life. And that's why I don't, you know, ascribe to the dogmatic religions in the way that they're usually espoused in terms of you know the hierarchy of gods and a lot of the dogma but i think it's really useful to explore um these stories and this wisdom to try to see one where they come from and two if there's any deeper truth in them beyond the institutions that have kind of um you know, carried them forward over the last several hundred or several thousand years, like I'm, for me, it's a pretty simple thing to, to do away with the institution, right? The institution is fallible, but is there anything in these stories and in this wisdom that is worthwhile to explore and maybe even integrate and adopt? And I think that's why Peterson's work has been so interesting because, you know, whatever his actual religious beliefs are, he always kind of swerves on that question, but, uh. you know, his exploration of where these stories came from, I think is rooted in a far more fundamental and foundational truth in human psychology and evolution than just a couple of stories made up so that people could explain the natural war, the world, and, uh, you know, develop some kind of order in it. Like, I think he's made it pretty clear that it's far deeper than that. And in an exploration of those stories, I think you find truths that are very interesting. Not to say that if you, you find them, it means you adopt that faith. I don't think that's necessary, but I think it's it's beneficial not to do away with all of these things just because they've been corrupted by institutions, but to say, you know, and the same could be true for Buddhism, for, uh, for Islam, for, you know, Taoism, for Hinduism, you know, all of these things, I guess, unfortunately, have had institutions grow up around them and the institutions become fallible corrupt etc but there's so much interesting uh the genesis of all of these ideas and all of these stories and thoughts i think is rooted in something far more fundamental within us and if we can understand what that is then i think that becomes a far more valid orienting truth for how we live our lives
1: yeah absolutely and I mean, I used to self-describe as like a, a militant anti-theist. you know, that <laughs> was like just in my early twenties yeah. or as a late, late teenage years. Um, and I, went to a, a private school and was sort of like a Catholic school and like the religious education there, it was really rammed down your throat. And that, I mean, that just completely rubbed me the wrong way, you know? And so just as a, as a matter of delivery, like anything that was delivered in that, in that way, um, you know, by these authority figures that style themselves to be like infallible and just when you see how how truly fallible they actually are and that you know like all authority was just out the window for me after that and so like i went hard in the anti-religious direct um, direction and that's really just such a you know sort of first surface level um thinking about it and it's you know it's just the nature of the the education system that um that they can they can drive the wonder out of out of even something like that it's supposed to be the most um profound thing like this idea of religion but um you know as with all things in education like i I love learning I, I love reading you know and that's like that's all I ever did and um you know as a, as a teenager like all my sci-fi novels and whatever else and but somehow like you know 12 years of education and they destroyed my my love of learning and you know by the time I got out of high school I, I fucking hated it you know and you know that's what kids just, they, they want to learn and they want to be sponges for information. So, you know, it kind of, it's a testament to how fucked the education system is that, um, they can drive that out of people. But, uh, um, so yeah, and you, you come back around and it, it might have something to do with like Dunbar's number, you know, like 150 people, that's, that's all that we can sort of get in our heads and that's. Uh, social systems don't really scale beyond that. And when we do try and scale them beyond that, like we get these things about building these institutions. And like you say, it's the institutions that are fallible. Like once you get bureaucracy creeping into things, like the actual essence of the thing is so, is so lost. So like I said, um, this idea of like the, the God shaped hole in, in people's hearts and people fill it with all sorts of shit, you know, like, um, you could, you know, it's been argued that, uh, social justice is, uh, another religion, you know, um, and people just they have to search for something, something larger than themselves, like whatever it is, like some cause, or they need to feel that they have some purpose, you know, so that's always going to be like that. And hopefully we can find something and um, help people understand that, um, you know, Bitcoin is this higher purpose, and it actually has uh, a chance of actually affecting a real change.
0: Yeah, and I, I think, I think it's probably safe to say that we're all guided by some belief, right? I mean, all of our actions have some motive and I think, you know, maybe part of the definition of belief is like, it's the thing that most guides or inspires or incentivizes your behavior. And so we're, like you said, we, we, whether you call it a God-shaped hole or, or, you know, internal compass or whatever, like we we all need something in there that we believe in strongly enough that, you know, causes us to make decisions one way or the other, that guides our behavior. and. I guess it can be filled with a great many things. And, but I, I think that's why it's so important to constantly refine what that thing is so that, cause that's the real, I guess, spiritual journey is, is continuing to refine what the belief is that orients and it motivates your behavior. You know, because if, if the, the more truthful that thing is, the, the, the more pure that thing is, then the more pure and aligned. And truthful and righteous and good your behavior will be you know so it's that's why the quest to continue to understand that thing and refine it within refine it within you so that that guiding impetus is as pure and true as it can be is such an important thing Mm -hmm. and that's why you know that's in my life that's why learning has always been a big thing the psychedelic exploring has always been a big thing learning about bitcoin learning about different philosophies because the, the the importance of that search and how you integrate what you find on it is, you know, that's maybe the purpose of life. That's the spiritual path, you know, to really mm-hmm. use some loaded language in the cliche term, but I, I think that's, that's kind of unavoidable. And what's interesting about Bitcoin so much is that I, you know, a true awakening I think is happening and yeah, we're in our echo chamber and we're a bunch of zealots right now, but look at the. Like you mentioned before, all this content that's being created—memes, podcasts, books, articles—all of this stuff is creating more sellers And I don't mm-hmm. think in in a in a forceful way. But like, I think people that come in the space now—all these resources. I mean, look at the Michael Sailors of the world, right? They come in earlier this year, and because of such a dearth of resources and great, you know, people that have put together really thought-provoking explorations of this subject matter people can come into it. And if they come into it with an open, open mind, they say, holy shit, this is, this is really legit. And it changes them fundamentally very quickly. You know, you, you can, your whole worldview can be changed as a result of getting involved in this thing. And the reason why I think an awakening is happening is because when you see on the one hand, something that's so nakedly truthful, right? You know, that you, you can see exactly what it is. And there's no facade. There's no, you know. It just it's it's again like we said before. It's it's a form of truth. Then you compare everything else you see to that form of truth, and everything else in comparison and relative that to, relative to that looks overly complex, or looks suspect, or looks, uh, you know, you can see the the, the untrue or the unnecessary mm-hmm. um, aspects of things, and you wonder. Why are they like that? And if you dig you know, well, maybe corruption, maybe co-option, maybe, uh, inefficiency, like the, the kind of it's, it's a mirror, right? Truth is a mirror and Bitcoin is a mirror to all of the things. And that's why I think we see this awakening in so many different domains as a result of people getting involved in Bitcoin, because it shines the light on, of truth on all of them. And it forces mm-hmm. people to say, why is that that way? Why can't that thing be as simple as this thing? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I think there's a genuine awakening and it's being represented in, in behavior change and people uh, orienting themselves differently, spending their time and energy and attention on things differently. And it's so fucking exciting to to be a part of it and to see it and to talk to people about it, man. It's like, it's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, word, brother, I like. There's, there's nothing like talking to other Bitcoiners that get it. And, um, quite envious of you. I know you just do this podcast for <laughs> an excuse to talk to more Bitcoiners. Um, definitely missing in my personal life. Um, can't wait to get to like a meetup or something again, and just to be in a room full of people that get it. Um, but yeah, the thing about truth, um, it's just the most efficient way. And one definition of truth that I like is, is just conformity to reality. And, um, reality is, uh, that reality is that which when you stop believing it does not go away that's a quote from philip k dick um and so and the thing about bitcoin is it's sort of internally consistent as well so it's just like sort of the most efficient way and and like you said once you see something that's self-contained and and just sort of true from all directions and you go back into the real world and you see what's going on there it's just so obvious and to draw this back to you know what i do as well with the memes um and it's about um communication and, and this ties into the the psychedelic thing and you know all my drug use and uh, okay i'm tying a bunch of things together now but like even back in the day when i was and, and before the psychedelics you know I was, a, I was a raver kid so you know all these um, dodgy warehouse parties in more of a like a city warehouse setting or something like that uh rather than a you know out in nature with the psychedelics but um even back then, and I'm very grateful because one of our friends back then, he was totally straight edge, never did any drugs, but just fucking loved the music, loved to dance and he'd go hard as, and it it sort of made me realize not to take it for granted and also to to treat it with some kind of reverence, you know, just don't do them just to get off your head, but try and take something back, you know, like you, you know, especially on something like MDMA and it's like, you, you love everyone and everything. And, you know, that was there's such profound, um, feelings and like peak feelings. And I'm like, I want to take some of this back to reality. So I always had that sort of mindset going into it. And then later on with the psychedelics as well, I mean, they're they're harrowing experiences, right? Like you get right to the edge. And I was always like, well, if I'm going to do this, this thing, like just really pay attention and try to bring something back, you know, so. Um, that's more of that true thing. I lost one of my tangents then, so I kind of lost the thread of it's, things, but. Um.
0: It, it's so hard in the psychedelic realm to bring things back though. You know, mm-hmm. it, it got to the point for me, it's almost like I, I, cause you know, whether, I don't think memory is operable in that realm, or at least it's a really kind of, uh, it like, it kind of slips through your fingers sort of like, dreams, I guess, you know, you, you come back and you just can't, your, your perspective is different. So I, I think it's almost like the memories aren't accessible because you're, you're now in a different point of perspective and they just, they can't reach that perspective. So sure, I got to the point where I would just do my best to be so open to being imprinted upon in the experience. And I kind of just allowed, like my faith in the experience was that if I fully engage in the experience and, and, and go as, you know, let it happen as far and as deep and as intense as possible, that I'd, I'd be imprinted with something, um, like that. I'd be imprinted with the nature of that experience or the nature of that energy, whatever we call that what's happening. And that, that would be expressed through me as a result of having the experience. And I wouldn't have to consciously think like, oh, that insight is now going to form the basis of my thinking on this. And I'm going to change my behavior. I just kind of like had faith that the power of that experience, I guess, would transform me. And I, I was just going to kind of allow that process to happen. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And for me, it was quite similar because I, after doing it a few times, you realize, well, you're not getting, you're not getting the details back, but you can really kind of tune into like, for one of a better word, like the vibe of it all. And, you know, somehow when you get back to reality, you got to try and reverse engineer that feeling into what may have actually happened. And, um yeah but i I remember the other thing because um one of those tangents was uh communication so um like back in the warehouse party days you know like you know that'd be friday or saturday night or whatever and then you know when the when the party ended and everyone had to go home we we go to someone else's place and the party would continue like the drugs would usually continue and they called them recovery parties but there wasn't usually wasn't much recovering going on it was just like charging on and so you know a bunch of trippers and super high people sitting around in a room they would just been you know dancing you know in the dark with lasers for the last 12 hours but um and then you just, what can you do? You, but you chat, you know, and so I, I always had this idea about um, communication. And I, I did some of like uh, NLP, neurolinguistic programming back in the day, and you kind of learn about, you know, communication and what's possible. And I'm, there's really a kind of magic about it because, you know, I can say some words and, you know, you're on the other side of the planet and I can make you feel something, you know, I can change something within you somehow. And you kind of get to this idea, like, well, how far can you take that thing? You know, like how, how effectively can you communicate something? And then, you know, you get to this idea of like in NLP, they tell you like, you know, the actual words, the content, are maybe 7% of what you're saying. Then the, the tonality is like, you know, 35% or whatever. But the, the main part of it is, is this nonverbal communication, you know, just like, is it a raised eyebrow or, you know, just something, something like that. And. Um, to tie it back in with what i do now with my animations it's like how much knowledge and you know how how much of the essence of these ideas can i squeeze into a couple of seconds worth of dancing pixels and convey some essential truth to someone through that you know like totally abstracted all the the words and stuff away and just you know like s- sort of pure <laughs> like telepathy somehow like that so that's sort of what i'm i'm trying to do, uh, I I guess.
0: Yeah, it's fucking bananas that that's even possible, but Mm. you know, because you know, what you do like, and I love how you framed it like that, but just how little can you use to convey or express or communicate something, right? And that's that's why art is so important, you know? And, And that's why I think memes have become such a big part of this movement is because you know you can talk for hours and hours about philosophy and economics and politics and history and it just you know for someone like me i'm very very interested in that but nothing lands that's why i mean I, the the quotes escape me right now but something about like the the role of art in revolution because you know nothing really strikes like art. art like art speaks to the a deeper part of our brain or the soul or whatever you want to call it and if it If it strikes the right chord, it can be again, transformative. I mean, maybe if it expresses truth in a certain way, maybe it can be transformative. And it's so fascinating that so little is required for that to be the case. Like maybe we get to the point where an image is all that's required for someone to, you know, to be transformed by some form of truth. I mean, right now that's, you know, fix the money, fix the world. It's however many pixels on a gift, right? And maybe you know that's very little text but it's enough to get someone's mind thinking in in a way far more than a three-hour podcast about austrian economics you know and how how could that be whittled down to you know one word or one image i mean it's it's amazing that we're wired that way to take that input that is kind of this subjective you know non-specific expression or form of communication and allow it to to go so deeply within us that it, it fundamentally changes our perspective or our behavior. I mean, it's, I always, you know, I, I always think to myself, like more art, like, I you know, we, it would be great to see even more, even more, even more art in this space of all kinds, right. Memeing, uh, you know, graphic novels, uh, paintings, you know, everything. Hmm. Everything is art really, I guess that's the, that's the punch. Yeah. Line. Well, but, it yeah.
1: depends on your definition. Um, but I think. We've, I assume you're about my age, I'm 40 soon, Um, and, uh, I think we are born at a really sort of special time. Like we might be, you know, maybe every generation feels this way. They kind of call it a millennial thinking. Like you're, you're the generation that's just on the edge of the the special thing. But I think there really is something that happened, you know, in the nineties, that's when the information age really was born, you know, and I, I still remember the time before that. You know, like my first um, computer. Like well, I was on BBSs before there was such a thing as an internet. Like kids alive today, they'll never know a time without smartphones and internet and instantaneous access to the sum total of the world's <laughs> knowledge and information. Like it's it's so fucking wild, and we take it so for granted. And you know, one of many things that's come as a result of this is this whole new um, sort of language of communication on the internet, um, which is like memes, which. They, they are able to, able to squeeze and concentrate so much information in, you know, like just a, you know, an image, um, and, you know, transcends language as well. Like it's, it's really fully blown and it ties kind of back into Richard Dawkins. Like I, I remember reading, um, the selfish gene where that word meme was sort of first kind of used, like he invented that word. Um, and you know, that, that kind of speaks to how, uh, rapidly language evolves anyway like he invented that word but now the word meme (laughs) means like you know picture with some words or something like that it's just it's it's wild how fast things are moving now um so yeah i I feel really fortunate to to be a part of it i guess
0: yeah you know it 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 is crazy that that the time we're in as you say like maybe because every generation is always on the cusp of history now i know there's been periods where you know the quote-unquote dark ages where Maybe things have seemed like they were actually uh, degrading or there they were things weren't advancing, like innovation wasn't advancing. But I think most throughout most of history you probably had that sense because you had all previous innovation plus whatever was happening in the current moment. Um, but it does seem like right now we're in this you know accelerated period where at least the, the form of innovation is so foreign to what came previously that you know it, it's one difficult to group to really appreciate or grapple with or understand what the implications are going to be. And two, just to kind of, to, to keep up and understand how to engage in this thing. But what's what I find so fascinating about Bitcoin is that even though it's born out of this digital realm and it's exclusively digital, you know, mainly, um, but it's kind of hearkening back or at least it's, in, it's in, inspiring a hearkening back in a lot of people that use it to a more simplified, and even in some cases, a more traditional way of life. Um, and I'm wondering why you think that might be the case if you agree with it at all, but I, I've spoken with enough people now that, uh, you know, I won't generalize for everybody, but a lot of people, you know, less material goods, less things cluttering up their life, you know, only really genuine and strong relationships, you know, nuclear family you know, a uh, cleaner approach to diet and, and approach to health in general, that kind of stuff. Like, why do you think nestled within this tremendous technological revolution that encompasses not only Bitcoin, but the internet and, you know, AI and everything that's happening. Do we have the people that are kind of at the, the, the bottom of the adoption curve? So like the earlier adopters of this radically new technology are being inspired toward uh, and like going back in other areas of their life to a more traditional existence.
1: Yep. Um, I think the reason is, is the industrial age is over and we're moving into the information age and it's that William Gibson quote, like the, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed, you know, but, um, I like, especially this year with all the stuff with the pandemics and it, it seems to me that, um, you know, like, uh, big, big cities have kind of run their course, you know, like if this is the new normal now and, um, you know, everyone's remote working or so many people can remote work, like, why do we need to all be crammed in these big cities, you know? Um, so, uh, and I mean, you say it's going, going back. I mean, it's really just that people don't want all this bullshit consumer stuff and um you know the, the big tv and whatever else and they kind of realize what's what's really important like at least that's my hope um and and again it's always so hard to tell um again again because we're all in these echo chambers you know whether you're just it's your social media feed it's all algorithmically driven i i fundamentally have no idea what you know that the average person is into like all, all i see is um uh, Bitcoin content. And, you know, like I don't, I don't ever go on my Facebook feed, you know, I don't watch TV or news, certainly don't read newspapers or anything like this. So yeah, I mean, I, I often go down these paths of like, well, most people seem to be doing this or that. And I always have to remind myself like, well, fuck, that's just the the tiny, tiny, um, narrow aperture that I have onto the world. And, you know, it's, it's one of the things that makes, um, One of the stickers that I used to have, one of the truth tags was, um, in the age of information, ignorance is a choice, you know? And of course my, my brain always goes to the counter examples. So, you know, I really like that, that line and. and, anytime someone asks me how to do something, I'm like, you know, I, you can Google it and you can find anything out. Like, um, you know, people ask me how do I do my animations, and like, well, it's, I'm just all self-taught. Like, every, literally everything, you, anything you want to learn how to do, it's out there on YouTube for free. You can teach yourself if you have the motivation. But the flip side of that is, you know, maybe this is not the um, age of information. Like, it, it really seems to be um, this is the age of misinformation. You know, like we're promised the sort of the utopian dream of like the information superhighway, And we're all going to be connected and we're going to be, have access to all this information, but the problem is, it's like, there is all this information, but there's no quality control. So, you know, like it's sort of a Pareto distribution of like 99% of everything is shit and, you know, this goes to the same for what's on the internet. So, you know, um, and that's where I think a lot of the challenges in the world come today, because fundamentally we just don't live in the same world anymore as it's like the the average person you meet on the street um there's a good chance that you have zero overlap like if if you imagine the venn diagram of their media consumption there might be zero overlap in that you know um and you know i I really struggle with that because we don't have um a sort of a common baseline experience um from which to start from so and um sort of the the dark house that like the the weinstein brothers and that they go on about this they talk about the um sort The sense-making apparatus of the species has been just totally broken you know and um two sets of humanity you know like let's take the example of the the two political factions in america the right and left there like they fundamentally don't agree on what's happening in reality so you know it's hashtag interesting times you know so it seems to be getting hairy out there
0: yeah i mean i i ultimately think it's a good thing, even though it's more cohesive to have like one narrative, you know, in the Walter Cronkite days, or whenever the fuck it was, where so like, everybody thinks the same. But I think all of this bifurcation of attention and information and knowledge is ultimately good. Um, we're just in the messy period, you know, because it forces people to be responsible for their own perspective. Mm. Like you have to be the one that constructs your perspective based on your own, you know, uh, objective, accumulation collection of knowledge and then how you interpret that to form like we were saying a little bit earlier about like how are you constructing or refining that orienting belief within you that's what all this information is for right so you've got to take it all in you've got to filter out the noise and you've got to see where is the genuine truth and insight and wisdom that you're going to integrate into your own perspective and behavior and i think even though right now it's super messy All of this information coming from all different sources about every different fucking thing in the world is ultimately helpful for that process. But it does put a lot of the onus and impetus on the individual to take responsibility for that process and not outsource it. Like we have so many done for so many other things, a talking head on the TV at night to tell you what the fuck is going on in the world and what you should be thinking about it. Right. Those days are rapidly become coming to an end. But to your point about us, you know, right where we are right now, like those people on the right and those people on the left believe what they believe equally powerful, it's like strongly, they're, they're equally mm-hmm. strongly held. And it's a really weird thing. Like how could they have like a hundred, hundred percent conviction that this is the truth and those people can have a hundred percent conviction that this is the truth and they just cannot, you know, see past each other. You know, they cannot see eye to eye rather. They always mm-hmm. see past each other. And I see it today, you know, like all, when I bump into people, uh, you know, in real life, I can just see like, oh, you're one of those people. Like you you're on that side of the thing. And so everything Mm -hmm. you think is that side. And then I see another, person, like, oh, you're on that side of thing. Everything you think is on that side. So like it, 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 and you know, bringing Peterson back up, he talks about being ideologically possessed and that's definitely Mm -hmm. a part of it where you're just like, you've, you've downloaded this perspective because it's easy and it's comfortable and it helps you orient your world without you having to do all the hard work to do it yourself. And so as a result of that, all of these things, all of your responses, or at least the vast majority of them are automatic and -hmm. they're based in emotion and they're not based on your own critical thought and integration. And that's why we get so much of the crazy shit we get because people are just acting out these, these possessions. It's just, it's just, they're, they're, they're an avatar for these ideas that are, that are just flaring up all over the place and they're not taking the time to to, you know, put them to the test internally to make sure if they're actually worth holding.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's fucking scary. Actually, I think, um, regardless of who wins in the election, um, in November in America, like the other side's not going to accept the, the outcome of it and it's just going to get, um, even heavier over there. Um, and the, the one thing that I can. (laughs) really thank my education for I had a physics teacher in high school and he really drilled into us he's my favorite teacher he drilled into us the idea of you know thinking from first principles and um I was just always lazy you know like all through you know primary school and up to like grade 10 like I just straight A student without ever having to study or try anything and then in you know the last couple of years of high school i just totally lost interest and so it was great though but he told me about first principles and then if you understand first principles you can kind of just work out everything from scratch anyway and so i think you know it's a shame but that's that's what missed, what's missing from these kind of political factions i i guess um and then the other thing about um like you were saying going back and I think it it all depends on your scope like uh you know how big of a picture you're looking at you know and um it's like the great pendulum swings of history right when and we're in amongst it so we can't see like the the great arc of history and it's that the oft-quoted uh phrase of like uh hard times lead to uh, strong men strong men um make good times and good times make weak men and the cycle sort of continues and maybe another one of these cycles is where we go from uh, uh sort of unified and aligned truth or um sort of uh you know consensual uh sense making like of the species and and we we had that and then we've moved into this totally like atomized and um you know everyone has a unique view and you've got your social media feed and i've got mine and then the the this group sort of reality has has totally broken down but then let's pull bitcoin back into this which is again this sort of truth machine which lets us realign back on a one sort of ground truth that we can start building from again and like i really i mean i wish it wasn't so and that's where this sort of idea of being blackpilled comes into it and um there's some people that you know they they could call themselves accelerationists you know we've just got to see this thing through to the end I think um you know it's just got to get to the stage where things crash and you know to to bring the drug use thing back into it again like I got to a very dark place with amphetamines and that you know and I I was a fucking junkie man and it wasn't it wasn't until I hit rock bottom that I could actually change you know and I think that's the same on a, a grand scale with society unfortunately and I think you know, this thing like in the US with the, the left and the right, I think they're really going to pull themselves apart, you know, um, and it's only after that, that we'll be able to rebuild something better um, in the wake of that. And, you know, that's why I'm, I'm building on Bitcoin, because I want to be able to offer the people a solution when, when they come asking, you know, and that's the only thing you can do, like, um you can be vocal and outspoken about this. And certainly in 2017, I was maybe an obnoxious obnoxious in my zealotry you know and and in people's faces and you know it's probably another part of the reason that i turned to making these animations instead because you know like after trying to sell people on the messages you know sending them a wall of a text to try and convince them i'm like it doesn't it never works to to change people's minds that way. So instead, I'm just gonna you know like a, a Peterson quote, you know, tend your own garden, clean your room, sort yourself out. I'm just gonna do my own thing and you know build the best life that I can for myself. And you know be be consistent in their messaging. Like I I post. I post my animations to Facebook to all the, my normal friends, and you know now and then I'll have someone message me, and you know they're still banging on about that Bitcoin thing, and like you said the the number go up technology is going to get them in the end if like all this talk of um, you know principles and, and doesn't, but um you know and you know when it keeps coming back up in there in their mind and they see the bullshit that's going on in the real world. And, you know, I keep kind of telling them, um, I I posted that, that, um, picture of the federal reserve, a base to M two money supply right now. And it's like 22% of the USD in circulation was created this year. And it's like, you know, no one, these people don't know what that means for them, but you know, you just keep plugging away. It's like a, you know, water wears away the stone one drip at a time. And then, you know, once. The penny drops for them they know they can come to you and you know actually ask to go down the rabbit hole and you can you can lead them once the horses come to the water i guess
0: yeah and that that's the thing that's so great that bitcoin exists is like before you had no life raft that was waiting there because it's going to be there for you right and, but that wasn't there before so it, it almost kind of it it, it made the. Uh, the rationale behind even trying to understand what's wrong kind of a waste of time. Cause like, well, if you can't do anything about it, what's the point in trying to understand what's good, what's actually wrong. But mm-hmm. now that there's actually something you can be done about, I think that's putting even subconscious pressure on people to say, you know, when they're in that, you know, that dog in the burning house saying like, this is fine <laughs> they, when, when they realize that it's not fine. They're all the more, uh, I think incentivized now or it makes more rational sense to actually look at uh, an alternative if one actually exists. And I, so I think that's going to continue to happen, whether it's through NGU, whether it's through memes, whether it's through great articles and books and podcasts and stuff. But it almost seems like, you know, Bitcoin is a North star, but one that's not, that doesn't require, um, like a similarity, uh, or a belief, you know, it's because like all these other North stars that we've used. You know to have this sense making as you call it to have this kind of cohesive you know social perspective that kind of was the glue for everything to stay together was always based on belief right and, mo- and throughout most of human history it was religion but in some cases it was philosophy in some cases it was politics and it seems now we have this north star that we can orient ourselves around and organize ourselves around but it doesn't require everyone to believe the same thing But it still has the effect of having that cohe, it still has that cohesive effect, which is really, really interesting and really, really great. You know, we don't all have to get along we don't all have to think the same thing, we don't all have to believe in the same thing for us to cooperate and coordinate our behavior now, because this thing, because we can rely on this thing to help us do that. And because Mm -hmm. it, 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 uh, so that, you know, that's, that may be a very unique, uh, and novel, uh occurrence in, in human history. And I think a very, very positive one.
1: Yeah. I think, um, Bitcoin is the solution to this, this Dunbar's problem again. And that's the the thing, like for people that don't know, it's the 150 people. That's how we're sort of hardwired. We can, we can interact in social groups of 150 people. And beyond that, there's just not enough memory up there for, to slot people in, you know, so the challenge is, is like, how do we scale these social institutions and, you know. The solutions up to now have been like monarchies or, you know, aristocracies or, you know, um, corporations and other things, but there's always that social element in there, which is just so prone to politicization and then corruption, you know? And so, you know, Satoshi came along and he's like given us this tool where we can, you know, remove the human element from this and we can coordinate through something that is just sort of, you know, it's out there in code that anyone can, can check for themselves. And it just... Like you said, it's like this um, thing that humanity can orbit around, I guess, like a central, something central that is like a, you know, a a giver of objectivity when humanity itself, like, you know, we're all these, these individuals all doing our own thing, you know, um, reminds me a bit of what you were saying before. And I kind of disagreed a bit because you were saying, uh, and while I agree that, uh, you know, it's necessarily so that, you know, whatever point in history that you choose, the people alive there, they were on the cusp They were on the, you know, the leading edge of history, but I mean, it's still true that, you know, you just have to go back a few hundred years and, you know, someone they were born and they, in their whole life, they never would have moved like 20 kilometers or 50 kilometers if that from where they were born, you know, and their grandfather, their father, you know, going back generations, they were, you know, they, they were farmers on this particular piece of land or whatever it was. And the, the big change obviously that's happened now is that it's just the, the, this the rate of change that's happening like now we're seeing such massive changes like within our lifetime you know um really great novels that give you this idea of the the neil stevenson novels um cryptonomicon should be kind of well known in bitcoin circles um uh, neil stevenson wrote snow crash um you know that was the idea of uh the metaverse and stuff in there anyway um the prequels to cryptonomicon are sort of set in the 1700s and Stevenson has this real, um, ability to help you see that, like whatever the technology was in that time was that leading edge, you know, and, you know, at the time there, like they were just developing money. Like two of the characters in that book, are Isaac Newton and Leibniz, you know, who invented the calculus together. And it's just like, you know, these guys were on the cutting edge, like Isaac Newton went on to run the London mint and, you know, like he actually made the money back then. So they're they're fascinating books and those books sort of deal with, um, you know, where money came from, you know, from, from being gold and the, the building of, um, the first banks and stuff like that. So. Um, yeah, like I said, I think we're, we're really, (laughs) I I can't imagine what the world is going to be like when my daughter, you know, is sort of my age. Um, but yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's going to be who knows, right? Who knows? Mm -hmm. Hopefully, hopefully we, we make it through. And I I think we, I'm very more hopeful now than ever, of course. Uh, but it's, it's going to get squirrely for sure. Mm. Um, one of the things we touched on this a little bit earlier, but I just wanted to get a little more of your thoughts on it. You know, you mentioned uh, having you know issues with amphetamine in the past, you know, you were kind of psychedelic, you know, organic farmer, dreadlock sort of person. Uh, you've recently cut the dreadlocks off and, and, uh, I'm just, and I think you said, you've, you know, since your daughter's been around psychedelics, haven't really been a big part of your, your thing. I, I asked before is, if Bitcoin had changed you and, um, I know for a lot of people, especially maybe people that came from that kind of world that we've just been describing, like, you know, for lack of a better term, the kind of the psychedelic crowd, um, that Bitcoin seems to have maybe brought them down to earth a little bit more and kind of, uh, this may not be the appropriate word, but hardened them a little bit, like made them, a you know, the, 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 the psychedelic people are often very, um, <clears throat> a nice way to put this, um, Soft is not the right word, but I I guess I'm just wondering if have people in your life, you know, in looking at you over the last three, four years, since you've been involved in Bitcoin, have they commented on any changes that have may have taken place, uh, you know, in, in who you are, how you act, even how you, you know, how you look.
1: Um, it's probably just my personality in a greater sense, but like whatever sort of social group I found myself in i would quickly get to the edge of that social group so even while i was like the the hippie dude you know i was still you know hardcore into like economics and um you know like libertarian values and um you know a free market capitalist i was like an anarcho-capitalist sort of thing yeah i think what you're probably getting at is like sort of like this airy fairy sort of spiritual like crystals and all that that shit And it's just like just not grounded in reality but um again and i I often in conversations i have with people i I bring up stefan molyneux um, because i I consider him a fallen hero like he's been kicked off youtube and um twitter now and um so just like a shout out to him because he really put me on the path um back in the like the mid 2000s and really helped me examine like my early childhood stuff because i I really do believe like a lot of that um a lot of that drug use and um, addiction certainly it comes out of like early childhood trauma and stuff so and the, the last festival I went to, like, you know, I, I, got on, I got on the acid and, you know, got on the dance floor and, um, I just, I looked around and I just, I just saw all these hurting children that were trying to find a way to, you know, heal, you know, whatever happened to them, uh, you know, when they were little, um, so that that's kind of a buzzkill in that sort of, um, context. Um, so, but, um, yeah, so I don't think. I think the people that have known me have always known that I've been, I guess, pretty intense about whatever I was into at the time I was really into it. Um, so I I don't think for them, like I've always been into one crazy thing or another, like Bitcoin's just the next thing, I I guess. Um, and so, yeah, I I don't think they would have seen too much, but just for my own sense, it's, it's like, I. (laughs) coming back to that that thing greater than myself some some purpose you know like if this thing if this thing goes where 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 we think and and hope and you know have a bet that it's going um like how awesome is that you know i was there you know at, at the beginning it'll it'll seem like the beginning if it's you know 2050 or something like that um and you know i can be creating some memes like maybe they'll be hanging in museums or something like that um in the in the far future so you know like i guess you know as um mortal beings we're always trying to find some way to um you know attain immortality in that sense um yeah i don't know maybe i'm reaching i haven't really thought of it in this, in this <laughs> sense before but um yeah it's just maybe it, maybe it's one of those cliche things about it makes you more who you were anyway i don't, I don't really know man right, right. It's, it's hard to know like who i would be now if it wasn't if it wasn't bitcoin you know yeah like when it came into my life in 2017 you know i was we were still running that business and you know my daughter had been born but and my partner was like before that it was really the the parenting thing that i was like you know and i still believe that like 100 we gotta we gotta fix parenting before we can fix the world like all these damaged damaged people that can't process reality properly it's because you know something happened to them in their early years which sort of damaged that part of them so um yeah i think Got to, got to fix the parenting, fix the money, and then we're most of the way there, I believe.
0: Yeah, I think you you probably hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, I think Bitcoin uh, pushes you to become more grounded in reality. And, mm. you know, because whatever your thing is, whether it's a psychedelic crowd or the political crowd, I mean, everyone is in living in some form of their own echo chamber or delusion or, you know, comfortable situation about, what they think the world is and how it operates. Right. And I, and I think, again, one of those aspects of truth is as we've been talking about this whole time is that it it brings more reality to your perspective. And if, if something grounds you in reality, I mean, the reality of reality is that it can be very difficult. You know, Mm -hmm. reality is death. Reality is struggle. Reality is all of these things. And I think maybe that's part of the reason why, and I'll use just myself as the example, um. And I was never really like an airy fairy sort of psychedelic person. Like I was always, uh, I just didn't latch on to that. But in other areas of my life, I, I, I was probably you know, a bit softer than I am now. And I think uh, Bitcoin has had that effect of, again, shining that light of truth on everything, bringing my perspective or dissolving some of the delusion about my perspective and bringing me down to a more gra- grounded uh, view of reality. And then having that inspire in me you know, a voice that says, you need to become more conditioned for this reality. You know, this new uh, perspective or appreciation of reality and reality can be harsh and and reality can be difficult. So you need to adapt in different ways to, uh, you know, condition yourself better for that. And so, you know, whether that's manifested in a number of different ways, but I think it's just, um, and maybe that's part of the process that underpins a lot of the behavior change in the space as well. I think it's multifactorial, of course, but, you know, I think that process is, is kind of leading people to, you know, develop, uh, more hardened is too broad of a term, but I think you and people will understand what I mean when I use it in this context, like a more hardened perspective and perhaps more refined, um, behaviors or, or. Coping ways of coping with you know being in in the, the reality that we find ourselves in. Yeah, I'm not, not think, sure if that was clear. But.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it gives you a reason to want to stick around longer. You know, like it's the whole thing about time preference, right? And right. I can, I can, I definitely remember in my twenties, and like I, I, I literally used to say this: like, I will live twice as hard and half as long. You know, this idea of burning the candle on at both ends, you know, like, um, shine twice as brightly, but half as long like all that kind of shit. And and, like, I was, I was going hard, you know, And, and I like to flip it around now. And like, now I intend to live forever so far, so good, you know, that old joke. And, um, you know, it's, that's why I say, you know, like the, the best thing for a young man is to have kids. And I think it's, it's, it's so tragic that it's been maligned so much in, in society now and, you know, like it's, I just think it's a shame for, for young women as well to be pushed into the workforce. And, you know, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole as well, but like, I think you know, <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. But I just think like the most important thing uh, any person can do is bring, you know, healthy humans into the war, wo- into the world, you know, so like this idea about, you know, working in some office job when you could be, you know, like what is more powerful, what is more empowering than forging the next generation of humans, you know? So, and, and like I said, like, I, I Bitcoin is sort of similar in the way because here's something that's going to be forever, you know? And so like, I want to see how this thing turns out, you know, is, are we going to make it? Like, are we right about this thing? I want to be around 50 years from now or or even longer just to see how this thing turns out. So yeah, it's just, you know, and I, and like, I was there, I was that nihilist, you know, it's like the world's fucked, you know, already in my twenties. Like I could see how corrupt the systems that, that power that were, and. And also, um, uh, just this sense that you couldn't really do anything about it. Like, you know, you can, you can go hold up a sign and protest, but what are you going to do against the state, you know? And, and then, and Bitcoin came along and it's like, well, I can just, I can opt out, you know, like what better solution is there than that? And it's, it's totally peaceful that, you know, as a libertarian, I I try and uphold the non-aggression principle and here's a way I can totally defang the state, um, by separating money and state and money is their central means of control. And yeah, I'm just trying to get as many people on board to see that as possible. So they're on the life raft with us.
0: Yeah. I I couldn't agree more with everything you just said. And you know, that gives me hope because my experience, and I know so many people that I've spoken to, that was their experience too. They were just hopeless. They looked out on the world. They did a little digging to, to, you know, enough to see like, holy shit, this thing's pretty fucked up and I don't see any way that it's going to get turned around. And Bitcoin has provided that, that hope and it's dramatically changed your perspective, one of nihilism and just thinking, well, like you said, I mean, might as well burn the candle at both ends or might as well, you know, fill in the blank kind of destructive behavior because this thing is doomed to now thinking, no, there is a you know, great and glorious future on the horizon. And we now have a tool a powerful tool to bring it about and to, um, to inhibit the, the, the other force that would seek to, uh, you know, stop us from accessing that. And, um, that's, what's so hopeful is it because there's so much of that in the world today, which is unfortunate, of course, you know, all these people as a result of this fiat system and the system, the size and and type of governance that we, we have all over the world. I mean, a lot of people feel that way. But if you and if I and a a lot of the people that I've spoken to and that are listening to this can be so dramatically turned around from a, I love the term black pill. I never heard it before. But you know, from being, you know, profoundly black bill, to being profoundly orange pilled and in a relatively short period of time, and that is an extremely hopeful uh, circumstance for the world, you know, and, uh, you know, back in the day, you and I were probably both like, well, how do you fix the world? Well, we need to give everyone. You know five to 10 grams of mushrooms and throw them in a dark room and and see see what comes out on the other side but now Mm -hmm. you know greed and self-interest is going to bring this perspective to people um one at a time but you know more and more all the time and that's you know that's so exciting as we keep saying Mm -hmm. and and if we're right at at all about this as you as you said a few minutes ago what a fucking time to be here you know Mm -hmm. how could you how could you stand to be anywhere else. Because if, if, if we're even partially right about this, we're at ground zero for one of the biggest, you know, revolutions or changes in, in human history. And, um, you know, you'd have to be almost, how could you not want to engage in it in some capacity, you know, so. Yeah, uh, well,
1: the, the reason people don't is because they're too comfortable, you know, and I started this conversation, we were talking about my dad a fair bit. And, um, you know, like I said, he's just a a regret machine now and he's, he's legitimate depressed, you know, and I think he's been for most of his life and, um, you know, you try to help people who are in places like that. And I kind of, I kind of told him at one stage, you know, after 10 years of trying to, trying to help him and, um, you know, I said to him, you know, how bad does it have to get before you choose to change? Like. Kind of putting the the onus on him like it's got to be your choice you know no one can help you with this thing and that's that's sort of how it is for people now too like people are just too comfortable like it's too easy like life is so glorious now um and you know even going back like um those are neil stevenson novels i mentioned you know there's um uh like the lewis Louis the 14th King Louis the 14th he was called the Sun King he was the you know king of France at that time and he was the the richest human being that had ever lived and yet you know he lived in Paris or Versailles or wherever he did and he'd open his windows and like the the stench of the sewage and the shit running down the streets sort would of have just knocked him over, you know, and it also describes him, <laughs> I think he had, uh, some hemorrhoids treated or something like that. And, you know, it goes into detail about like how anything like that was and another example, I, I like anytime I go to the dentist, you know, and they're like, well, this bit might hurt a little bit. And I'm like. Just bring it on we have, you know, all the medical technology that we have today, like there's nothing you could possibly do to me in this chair now that will even, you know, like I've read a description of what, you know, dental work was like, you know, even going back a hundred years, you know, so, and it's this thing about just appreciation like one of the other uh, truth tags and this one it sold a bit better amongst the the hippie airy fairy crew but it was like just hashtag gratitude you know and that was one of the things that pulled me out of my dark space when i was addicted and um, i don't mind talking about it like i've talked about it on podcasts before but like, i was a full methamphetamine junkie you know that was that was all i did you know that's after i got out of like social sort of you know party scene and it was just something you're doing by yourself at home and that was that was really really bad and i got I got really sick and I got really depressed and, you know, one of the things that got me out of it was just to build up this sense of gratitude again, Um, just gratitude for everything. And like um, that helped when I was running this business as well, because I realized how hard it is to just consistently produce any product. And then when you walk into a supermarket and there's, 10,000 products, all for your gratification <laughs> that you can, that you can, you know, spend a few dollars on and, you know, get whatever it is. And, you know, it comes back to this thing about the, the pencil essay, I'm sure you, you know about, you know, just like how hard it is to produce anything of value in this world. You know, like nothing is free again, that's my you know, science fiction um, background, all the Robert Heinlein novels, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And it's just you've got to drill these basic principles of economics into people that, people just don't just don't get, you know, like, like all these riots and stuff that are going on, like all the stimulus money that's happening. Like there's just such a massive disconnect in society about where things come from and like what actually produces value in the world. And people just imagine they can just keep printing money and it's actually producing value. And like this thing just mathematically can't continue forever. So, you know, whether they can continue kicking the can down the road forever, for forever. however many years, you know, um, who knows, but um, they seem to be doing pretty well at that. But like I said, you know, we're in the life raft and trying to get as many people on board as possible. So yeah, can you do,
0: you know, I, I I encountered that. And and I totally agree. I mean, it does it is, you know, hashtag gratitude is, is, you know, you're gonna find that on the yoga page, Instagrams and all that kind of stuff. But it it really is true. It's a powerful perspective. And it's one that should be integrated and used if you're seeking to live a, a happy, satisfied life, you know, and I came to realize that a number of years ago as well. But one of the things I bump up against uh, occasionally these days is when I'm decrying the current system and I'm, you know, doing the Bitcoin pitch with people, you know, it will seem like I'm not grateful for what we have now. And people will say like, dude, life is better than it's ever been. Like, well, you know, what are you complaining so much for? Why are you trying to disrupt things so much? Why are you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, I think it's, it's two reasons. One in the answer I give is one from a first principles, from a, from a principled point of view, I don't agree with a system that is predicated on unfairness and theft and lies. So I can't be for that. I have to be critical of that. Even if I'm able to establish a quote unquote, comfortable life for myself within it, um, and the second thing is, is I think an it can be so much better. Yes, it's Mm. great now. Yes, you know, medical technology is great. We're, you know, you know, life is is more comfortable, let's say than it's ever been. But first of all, is comfort the metric we want to be judging life on to a degree, Mm. yes, and to a degree, no, but there is so much more available, there's so much possibility and potential, both for us as individuals and for us as you know, humanity. So why don't we strive for that? Like, we don't have to not be grateful for what we have in order to strive for something so much greater. So let's do that. Let's, let's agree mm-hmm. that, that it's, it's wrong for us to be, you know, uh, stolen from. It's wrong for us to be lied to. It's wrong for us to be playing a game. That's not that everyone, the rules are diff are not the same for everybody. Let's mm-hmm. agree to those things. And that's, then let's strive to pull that potential and that possibility forward. Why the hell not?
1: Well, they have done those studies and comfort is objectively like a bad thing. They did the studies with, I think rats or or mice, you know, and they gave them every conceivable comfort that they could have and they just slowly turned crazy. You know, so again, that's that, that cycle of history, you know, hard, hard times, good men, (laughs) good times, weak men. Um, and I think we're just, you know, in that final phase of things, like things are, are too easy, like too many people are just like too comfortable and it kind of slowly turns people crazy. Like we need something to push against, you know, need to build something. And without purpose, like. You know, like it's the idols idle hands of the devil's plaything, or something like that. And just too many people like don't have anything to build on. It's another thing to come back to my dad as well. Like one thing that was hard for them, they they sold their business. It might be, you know, eight or nine years ago now. And um, like I told him, like look, you need you need something. You need a project. A man needs a project, something to be to be building on. Don't just retire and like sit around the house. Like he's always done stuff, and you know, unfortunately, he didn't. And you know, he's just going crazy by himself in his house after that um so yeah like people need people need a challenge you know something to bring people together i was thinking when the virus came along like at the beginning of this year i was hoping this might be the thing that draws people together like some communal um you know some communal challenge that can um unite humanity it's like that um Independence day, you know, where the aliens come, like, maybe that's what it's going to take, you know, like 2020 is not over yet. So, um, you might still have that in store for us, but you know, like <laughs> some, some huge challenge to come, which people can drop their petty differences and forget about this, like left, right bullshit, um, thing. And, you know, just have a common, um, common challenge to, to rise to, I guess.
0: I guess that didn't happen. <laughs> Doesn't seem like it happened. Mm. Um. Well, man, this has been uh, a, a really fun conversation. Do you want to, you know, and any last words? And if not, do you want to direct people to any of your destinations? If, if they want to learn more, or check out your work. Um,
1: no, oh, it's, it's a lot of words already. <laughs> like, um, so just, uh, yeah, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. It's, at uh, star Fury flames, um, and all my stuff is there you probably seen my animations around. Um, if you do want to support me, there's a, there's a tip and me page as well. You just know, throw some stats my way. I like, I don't sell any of this art. Um, so there's a whole NFT sort of rabbit hole. We could go down as well, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm just kind of just produce these cause cause I love to do it anyway, but if you do want to throw me a tip, I, I do take that. So yeah. Thanks. Thanks,
0: man. Awesome, man. Well, look, um, uh, I'm sure we'll talk again in the future, but until then enjoy the new house, keep putting out the great content and, uh, Keep doing your thing, man. It's it's uh, great to see. Thanks, brother. All right, take care. See you, you. mate.